0: Hello everybody and welcome to the tip of the iceberg podcast brought to you as always by inside the penguins a proud affiliate of the hockey news. I'm your host, Nick Berlanski, joined as always by Nick Horwath, and we said on Tuesday that we were guaranteed to get some news. We ended up getting it on Wednesday. The Pittsburgh Penguins signed Drew O'Connor to a two-year extension. We will discuss that a little bit later in the show because we did have a full breakdown on Penguins to go yesterday. Uh, If you want to go check that out, quick 10-minute breakdown of that and why the Penguins will get a second buyout period to potentially buy somebody out. I don't know. Maybe... Somebody named Mikhail Granlin. But we have a great show for you guys today. Obviously, talking all about forwards. We have top six winger projections, which we're going to get to in just a minute. We have Drew O'Connor. Is he primed for a breakout season after signing this two-year contract? We'll discuss that a little bit later. And then NHL Network put out a projected lineup for the Pittsburgh Penguins. We'll talk about that. And if we believe that's what it should be heading into training camp in September. But Horwath, before we get into all of that... It is August. We had Evgeny Malkin's birthday earlier in the week. We have Sidney Crosby's birthday next week. I'm just itching to watch some actual hockey. It's the time of year where the NFL has training camps and everybody's getting excited for NFL season. And as a, as a hockey fan, you just look at that and say, man, I can't wait th- for that to be us.
1: You're right. You can't wait, except this is the dead zone. This is the dead period, the good old dog days of summer, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh we're all excited for hockey there's no doubt but I mean you just got to make it through this month if it is any worth for Penguins fans uh, at least to start the month Kyle Dubas doesn't seem to be taking time off uh, much like you know you August usually turns into vacation month for a lot of these hockey guys but mm-hmm. uh here we go we uh at least for these first few days we might have uh might have a present of hockey operations not at the cottage this time around <laughs> not this year he's got He's got decisions to make with the lineup. He's got hires to maybe consider. He's got mm-hmm. uh, contracts to maybe toss around. He's got some, uh, he got. still has a bit of a to-do list left. I mean, it's not long anymore. It is definitely shrinking. Uh, the to-do list for the team heading into this offseason uh, has definitely shrunk quite a bit and, uh, you know, a few pieces have been added to it, but,
0: you know, there's only a f- couple of notches left to take off of this list. Yeah, he has certainly done the lion's share of the business for the offseason, but there's still business that remains. And we will talk about that at a later date, obviously. But right now, let's get into our top six winger projections. Obviously, the Pittsburgh Penguins are a very top-heavy team, and they're going to rely on these four wingers specifically. Jake Gensel, Ricard Raquel, Riley Smith, and Brian Rust. Last season... All three of these guys in that order is kind of how that went for them on point production. Jake Gensel had 73 points, including 36 goals. Raquel had 60 points, 28 goals. Riley Smith with Vegas had 56 points, so a very similar season to Ricard, Raquel, in Pittsburgh. 26 of those 56 points were goals. And then, of course, Brian Rust had 46 points and 20 goals, which is widely considered a down year for him. Horwat, how do you see these secondary three when it comes to scoring this season. I would take Gensel out of that because in my eyes, Jake Gensel is kind of in a separate tier by himself because he's not quite superstar like Malkin and Crosby, but I do think he's a step above Raquel Smith and Rust.
1: Yeah, and how I see him is, uh, pretty much the same way I could see them last year. Ricardo Raquel is going to fight for every minute he deserves to get on the first line, right? He's a solid player no matter where he plays, though. You need to... Did I say third in him at first? Mm-hmm. He's going to absolutely be... I don't want to say a monster on a monster on the forward court, but he's going to be an absolutely important piece Uh because he can perform anywhere he is, we saw it all last year. First line, he's going to do well. Second line, he's going to do well. If you drop him to the third, because you need to, screw it. He might just he might do just fine. Um, Sixty points speaks for itself. Especially, I mean, who cares who he's playing alongside with Crosby or Malkin? Uh, the dude is likely going to continue playing again with one of those two. So that same production should be there. Ricard Raquel is not just above. Uh, Brian Rust, who I want to get into, who just kind of needs to have himself a bounce-back year. I know you discussed that mm-hmm. uh, before, but this uh, is exactly what it needs to be. His, his new contract isn't new anymore. It's going into the second season, and uh, point blank, he needs to play like it. I mean, whenever he signed it, we thought the... It was it, it was a tidy piece of work by, uh, by Ron Hextall. It was. It, the money may have been a little high. The term may have been a little long. But that, those clauses coming in the first three and not the final three is kind of nice. Um, and pretty much, Brian Russ needs to perform well enough to n- have us not take advantage of there not being clauses in going into 25, 26. I know that's a couple years down the line, but uh, it's important for him to have a turnaround of a season. Uh, sure, he's getting... Sure, the, sure, everyone's getting older, but... It's important for him specifically, especially if he wants to continue bouncing between the first and second lines to produce more than what he did. I mean, 46 on 46 points on paper isn't terrible,
0: uh, but there needs to be a little bit more than that this year. Mm -hmm. You would at least hope that he, he crosses the 55 point plateau this season. If if you're looking at Brian Russ, at least that's what I would look for. And I'll talk a little bit more about Brian Russ later. But I do want to go back to something you mentioned about Ricard Raquel. You say that he's probably the guy that you would go with to lead this trio in points. I say Raquel probably has the highest odds of being the leader. Um, I think they're going to give him a little bit more playing time with Crosby and Gensel this season. Last year, everybody knows the underlying stats. He played half of his total ice time on that top line, so he split between them and then Malkin. And then a little bit of third-line time is is what he had with the remainder of his ice time at 5-on-5. But when he was with Crosby and Gensel, they controlled 56% of the shot attempts went on the ice, 59% of the scoring chances, 58% of the expected goals, and then 55% of the actual goals. And for those who aren't as familiar with advanced statistics, those are ridiculous statistics for an entire line, especially a line that goes up against the challengers that they do as the first line of the Pittsburgh Penguins. So the fact that the Penguins were that good in Raquel's first full season with the Pittsburgh Penguins, I can only imagine what a second full season will do and a full off season of rest for all three of these guys because everybody in the penguins top six entered this off season pretty much healthy no major surgeries needed by any of them so they didn't have to rehab at all this summer they entered this next season on a fully healthy clean slate which is vastly important for this team
1: yeah it, it, they weren't perfectly healthy i think rust had mentioned something that uh, during cleanout day he busted something up during the uh he, how did he put it during the useless game that didn't matter. Yeah, I think yeah. he said he <laughs> suffered some sort of uh, arm or hand injury. Uh, but, I mean, nothing serious. Clearly no surgeries were needed. So he had the summer to work that off. I think Raquel, may have been... Had, had something st- too. He, he was lingering with something. It's what kept him from going to the World Championships. At least that's what he said. Um, and we know Crosby and Malkin, first of all, they probably wouldn't mention any injuries. We also weren't asking them about injuries. Uh, mm-hmm. We were... You know, asking them how how it felt to be missing the postseason so they're coming into the season healthy and also we don't know the kind of bumps and bruises Riley Smith sustained along the way of winning the damn Stanley Cup mm-hmm. uh, but you know what they all go away when you lift it so uh, he's going to be an x-factor too I think if we uh, need to s- step into Riley Smith but no one no one on this team at least in the top six is dealing with recovering from injuries severe ones yeah. at least we got some minor ones out of the way by now you would assume they're already healed up um so coming in healthy is going to be huge we saw what it did for Crosby and Malkin this last season having a fully healthy off season, starting the season game one ready to go uh, you know especially for Malkin it was a huge
0: turning point for his season coming in healthy mm-hmm. I, I do think there's a non-zero chance that Riley Smith ends up leading that trio You mentioned, obviously, Raquel, and and he is the odds-on favorite, and I would assume that's the answer for most people, but when you look at Jason Zucker last season playing in the position that we expect Riley Smith to play, Jason Zucker had 48 points and 27 goals. Riley Smith, I think is much more of a playmaker than Jason Zucker was so he can collect more assists in that role but also I think Riley Smith is more consistent as a goal scorer right we saw this from Jason Zucker and we were like oh we've been waiting to see this but Riley Smith has consistently shown that level throughout the years with the Vegas Golden Knights and now playing alongside of Malkin not that he was playing alongside a bad center in Vegas either but playing alongside of Malkin I think that he is going to be able to score a lot of goals and also be able able to set a lot of goals up with Malkin and Rust on that wing Uh, so I really think between that and the fact that he likes to create offense on the penalty kill that's something the Penguins haven't had the past couple of years I think there's a non-zero chance that Riley Smith leads that trio but I will say Raquel is probably the leader in the clubhouse for who I would imagine ends up actually taking it
1: yeah and I I like Smith as a more consistent goal scorer as well I mean we enjoyed what Jason Zucker brought to the penguins last season especially in terms of scoring goals but if you look at the game log i mean there was there were some stretches there where there was not a lot going on it was more assists uh more uh physicality because we all know that even whenever he wasn't scoring goals jason zucker was at least bringing something important and integral to the team um but there were some stretches in there where he wasn't scoring but then he'd pop off for like six and eight games it was Mm -hmm. something ridiculous and he Really did great for the team this season. Riley Smith, I just need would have to pull his numbers up, but uh, feels like there's going to be a bit more of a consistency there. Feels like there's definitely going to be more defensive mindset there. And if he's making plays, he's playing with two great guys to do it with. If Kenny Malkin's a great finisher, and Brian Russ needs uh, to have that rebound season, and if giving giving him his finishing ability again with Riley Smith on his wing on a opposite wing should do wonders for him.
0: Mm -hmm. now here's when the projections come into play i think all three of these forwards for the pittsburgh penguins will eclipse the 20 goal mark but my hot take that i told you about off air before the show um that i was going to mention i didn't tell you what it was so I'm, i'm interested to see what your reaction is i think brian rust finally eclipses 30 goals this season i can get with that i would really like to see it as well it's
1: he's been so close a couple of times i mean his best possible season was cut short with COVID. Um, the season following, had that been a full year, probably could have done it then as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can see that finally happening. That would be exactly what the doctor ordered for him too. That's exactly what he needs to kind of aim for and shoot for, and then everything else will follow suit. Thirty goals there, let's ten extra goals gives us ten. Would have given him ten extra points as opposed to last mm-hmm. season for fifty six points, and you like that number.
0: Yeah, I like the over 55 for your 6th highest scoring top 6 forward. Like that, to me, is a good mark to have. And when I look at Rust last season, he had a 9.5 shooting percentage. That's the lowest he's had since 2015-16 when he only played 41 games because it was only his second year ever playing in the NHL. So if there is a progression there, or at least getting back to the mean of where he's at, which is usually around 12%, 13%, not to mention the fact that he's going to spend more ice time at 5-on-5, considering 9% of his total ice time was spent shorthanded last year, which was a career high. I do see where this could potentially turn into a 30-goal season for Brian Rust. I also think the big factor is, you mentioned it, he just doesn't need to do something we've never seen before. He just needs to go back to how he played the three years prior to signing that contract because the year you mentioned that was cut short due to COVID, he was on an 82-game pace of 42 goals. Not just 30, but a 40-goal scorer that year. And the other two years, if he played 82 games, he would have been over 30 goals as well. So to get back to that level is not something out of the realm of possibility. It would be massively important for the Pittsburgh Penguins to get him back to that level. And I think it would help him, like you just mentioned, get to that that milestone or that touchstone of 55 points.
1: Yeah, it'd be a good watermark to hit. Yes, good, 100%. Yeah, Yeah, it's that's where it needs to be that that 55 right there especially if he it does end up being the like you put it the sixth highest scoring winger or uh, forward on your team mm-hmm. i mean if that's your sixth then you have a damn good roster that is producing and spreading the production out because you know like we discussed uh before last season's numbers were Crosby at 93 Malkin at 83 Gensel at 70 73 first of all consistency is key <laughs> Then Raquel at sixty and a quick drop off all the way to Jason Zucker at forty eight. So you had four guys doing a ton of the doing a ton of the heavy lifting. Jason Zucker was in there doing good good work. We we're not denying anything Jason Zucker did, but um, you feel like he played, you feel like he produced more than he actually did, right? Because when you think about the season Zucker had and you realize he only had forty eight points, it doesn't seem like that, right? It seems like there was a lot more. It was how
0: important
1: all those points were.
0: Mm-hmm. And the fact that he was a goal scorer, too. He wasn't as much of a playmaker last season, and he didn't really play very much on the power play.
1: Right, yeah. I mean, only two power play goals to count into that. So it's... Yeah. Um, but five game winners. I mean, he had the important timing goals, too. Uh, and then Rust at 46, Crystal Tang at 41. Then then you start getting into defenseman talk, and uh, that's not where we need to be. So it's <laughs> up to Brian Rust to have that turnaround season. Riley Smith mm-hmm. will produce... Uh, assuming he can remain at about his level we need to like really see what he can still do on this team Mm um Raquel has a chance to play again phenomenally wherever he goes so it's gonna be a good season at least for these forwards the bottom six will need its own help we'll discuss that at a later date but for right
0: now I mean this top six should be should be okay assuming the right guys have the right seasons yeah, and I know we didn't discuss Jake Gensel very much, but he is in a tier of his own, and that's something that we're going to have to discuss in a separate episode down the line because he's entering a very important season. He's a guy that has scored 40 goals twice in his career. He scored 30 goals, I believe, another three times or two times, and he's entering a contract here. I mean, will the Pittsburgh Penguins look to extend him during the season? Are they going to let him play it out? And if they let him play it out, is he going to go out there and put up 40 to maybe a career-high when he gets to 41, 42, or maybe even 45. So it's going to be an interesting year uh, for the Pittsburgh Penguins' top six. And I know a lot of people are not excited about the offensive prospects of this entire team, but looking at the top six, it should be exciting to watch uh, those two lines specifically uh, play the game. But we're going to take a quick break. When we return, let's talk about one of those bottom six forwards that just signed a new contract. The ink is yet to be dried on that contract for Drew O'Connor. We'll discuss whether or not we believe... He's primed for a breakout season in 2023. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com, a proud affiliate of the Hockey News, which is way up over there by Horwat in the in the corner there. If you're watching us, there we go. Thank you, Horwat. Uh, the massive pointer. What it was, Vanna White of the Tip of the Iceberg. There is Nick Horwat, but uh, obviously, biggest news of the week so far is that Drew O'Connor signed a two-year contract. Worth 950k on the salary cap. He avoids salary arbitration. Horwat. I gave my thoughts yesterday on Penguins to go, but you have yet to give yours. So I will leave the floor to you. What do you think of the Drew O'Connor contract and the fact that the team avoided salary arbitration by settling with this contract?
1: It the 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 dollar amount is about where I expected it to be. I, that's that was kind of the easy notice of because every time this contract or this thought was brought up of what exactly could drew o'connor demand it's not like he didn't have a great season he did it was his first full asterisk season uh playing the nh playing at the nhl level it was his first full-time gig i mean it's not like he produced overwhelmingly great offensively for the penguins it wasn't like he was fully noticeable defensively. I mean, I'm sure he was in some aspects, but there was something about it that was still, can you really demand, you know, the sun and the moon? Obviously, like I said in the last episode, he's not going to be the one demanding Troy Terry's 8 million, ended up getting <laughs> seven, by the way. How about that? Jesus. Um, He's not going to be able to demand the high dollar amount. I genuinely, even with an arbiter, did not know if he was going to make more than a million, maybe a million to five. Uh, but, I mean, nine hundred thousand dollars. Nine nine two five is the total number here. Yeah, uh, is not. That's a. That, that's about what I expected. Two years mm-hmm. is even better. Uh, we like having him around for that extra season. Um, and I like I said, even if it went to arbitration, I don't know exactly how much more the Penguins would have maybe have had to have spent. Mm-hmm. Don't know what dollar amount they started at either. But, uh, hey, you know what? We got the deal done. It took some learning. It took some rereading and fact-checking with certain people. We do get that buyout window. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that is really... I mean, Drew O'Connor ended up being a uh, a pivotal piece to this offseason. Who would have thunk it? So we'll see where things go. The number itself, though, the contract, you cannot complain about... You cannot complain about a contract under a million dollars for a player who is 25 and only has played... He played 46 games last season. You I can't he's played complain about
0: 77 or 78 games or something like that in his career. Can't, yeah, you cannot complain about a contract like that, especially if he's got
1: a great chance of making the fourth line out of camp and being um, more than what he just was. 78 mm-hmm. in a career, 17 total points. Um, I mean, you know what? He's got a great chance to make a name for himself as a depth forward in the NHL.
0: Yeah, it's a big season for Drew O'Connor. I know that he has the protection now of being under a two-year contract, but this is really going to be his first kick at the can of saying, hey, I am a full-time NHL player. Uh, If he's able to make the team out of the camp is one thing, and if he's able to stick with the NHL team the entire season, which is something he has yet to do in his young career. So Horwat, the next question that brings me to is this. What would you consider a, quote, breakout season for O'Connor, um, it's hard to predict production when
1: it comes to the comes to the bottom six because you never really are sure of what they should put up. I mean, like I just read off his career numbers. He's played seventy eight career games, eight goals, nine assists, seventeen points. How's just that? Double up your career totals if you you know in any sort of way. You don't have to hit seventy eight games played just because being on the fourth line, injuries, this that and the other. The seventy eight games may not happen, but if you're able to pin up seven, 17 to 20 points. I don't see why that wouldn't be considered a breakout season for him, especially if he's coasting on the fourth line all year. If he is producing over that level, obviously you have to bump him up if he has that sort of uh, pedigree. But uh, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. Is that about where he should be, about what his career totals are now?
0: I think you're, you're in the realm of where he needs to be for a breakout. But in my opinion, it's not all – encompassing with points for for this for this I think what I mentioned a little bit ago if he stays at the NHL level all season that's one of the prongs to me that is important to whether or not it's a breakout for his particular position because he spent 20 games last year at the AHL level so First and foremost, he needs to stick in the NHL, maybe not playing every game, but at the very least, staying on the NHL roster from the beginning to the end of the season is one thing. And I think another important factor to whether or not he's a breakout candidate is, can he become a constant on the Penguins' third line by the end of the season? No, he doesn't have to break out. Right at the beginning, right out of camp and be a third liner for the Penguins. But by the end of the season, is he able to progress? Is he able to show enough to the coaching staff to where they trust him to bump him to that third line? Is he able to get the success offensively where they're trusting him to bump up to the third line? Is he going to be able to work well with a Lars Eller or with... Whoever else is on that third line right now. I mean, with an Alex Nylander, with a Jeff Carter, is he able to actually get something out of Jeff Carter at the age of 38 and produce offensively with Carter? So I think that's another important factor. And then to get to the points that you mentioned, you said if he's able to, to hit his marks that he has on his career now, which is, you said, eight goals, 17 points in 78 games, right? Yep. 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 I want to see him score 10 to 12 goals. There you that's go. That's what I would consider a breakout get to that double-digit mark and then surpass it a little bit and then finish around 25 points. I know that's not earth-shattering breakout star, but for the Penguins' bottom six and for Drew O'Connor, where he's at coming into this season, I think that's what I would consider a breakout for him.
1: Yeah, and it's easy just to kind of spit numbers out because it's usually what a lot of people will look at when it comes to quote-unquote breakout seasons. We look a little deeper, and I agree with you on all of those uh, things just staying at the nhl level being bumped up to the third line if need be and just being a consummate defensive mindset forward i like all of it i mean we also just need a bottom six that can find production in unexpected areas that's kind of a big reason why you want him to be able to produce as well i mean last season we enjoyed ryan paling a whole hell of a lot i mean despite his injuries he only put up seven seven 14 a clean 14 points mm-hmm. um if you want to throw Josh Archibald on that conversation, we liked what he could do. You know, being the, I don't want to say a pest, but just being a, I don't know. He, he, he threw the, he being a, a pest. Uh, wrecking, yeah, being a pest and a wrecking ball. That's kind of the word I was looking for. Yeah. Uh, he put up a clean 12 points of six and six. So, mm-hmm. Drew O'Connor has to pass those guys when it comes to production. There's mm-hmm. no doubt about that, assuming he plays more than. Brian Paling only played 53. Josh Archwood only played 62. Assuming he can play more games than that, he'll definitely have to pass those numbers. Um, Just to, like I said, make sure this bottom six has some production under its belt, because it needs it. Mm -hmm. Um, And everything else will just kind of flow along with it. We know he's got those... Drew O'Connor has those uh, assets to play defensively and hopefully... Bring something out, especially if he's playing with Jeff Carter. He's going to have to bring something out of Jeff Carter for this final year, of his, possibly the final year of his career. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot riding on Drew O'Connor's season, a lot riding on Jeff Carter's
0: season. If those two can work well together, hell yeah. Yeah, and throw Lars Eller into that mix as well. I, I think Drew O'Connor, to me, has a higher offensive upside, at least at this point of his career. Then you saw Josh Archibald. I mean, Josh Archibald last season, you know exactly what you were gonna get from him. You weren't expecting all that much offense from him. You were expecting exactly what you got. And honestly, it's it's a good allocation of money is hey, listen, we're gonna pay mm-hmm. you to do this. He went out and he did that. It was a it was a good deal for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um and Ryan Paling was interesting because I do think that Ryan Paling had more to give offensively, but the injuries clouded it. What was the injury? Did he play through injuries? It was a weird situation, and the Pittsburgh Penguins just cleaned their hands and wiped their hands of it this summer. I still think that Drew O'Connor has a higher offensive upside that he showed. I'm not sure if I'd say more than Ryan Paling because I'm just not sure what Ryan Paling was, but I think just specifically speaking on Drew O'Connor, the offensive side is something that I think there's more for him to give, and I'd like to see him play with more offensive talent than what he did last season, right? So again, playing with a Lars Eller, maybe playing with an Alex Nylander or playing with potentially as a center with maybe like a Valtteri Pustin on his left side or maybe an Andreas Janssen on his left side. I think that would that would certainly be interesting. And yesterday I I said that I talked about Drew O'Connor on Penguins to Go. We actually had a comment on our YouTube channel from Damon Gomes. He said, do you feel he will be added to the penalty kill thus giving him more of a role and more of a responsibility that's the interesting thing to me. Can you teach him? Can you get him into that role? Because if he only plays five on five, he can only go so far as far as his actual impact on the team. Not that he's not going to have one, but I think it would be very interesting and very good for the Pittsburgh Penguins. I was looking for a better word. There was there was no better word in my brain, I guess. Uh, very good for the Pittsburgh Penguins and a good part of his evolution if he was able to add that to his repertoire.
1: Yeah, from what I can kind of remember, um, he was at least taking drills in uh, penalty killing at the end, toward the end of last season during his mm-hmm. time with the team. I don't
0: remember if he was getting playing time there, though. I just do remember him. I'll look it up real quick, but I don't think he got very much, if any, playing time on the penalty kill. Yeah, and
1: it, take this from what you will. The daily face-off line combinations already don't have him... As part of either the power play or the penalty kill, he is just kind of sitting on the fourth line. Uh, But then again, you have to remember, we brought in guys that are going to be keys to the penalty kill in Matt Nieto, in Nolichari, and Lars Eller to a degree. So it'll be interesting to kind of see where Drew O'Connor sits in terms of the special teams. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, we still have a big ol' couple of moves that might need to be made that make big swaps when it comes to the special teams i.e daily faceoffs current uh second uh, the second power play unit for the penguins is centered by jeff carter with mikhail Granlund on the point and jeff pete along with jeff petrie i mean those three players right there might just get scooped right off of the power play <laughs> unit if a certain trade happens so who knows exactly yeah. where you know power plays and penalty kills stand but drew mm-hmm. o'connor playing the penalty kill i don't mind that either they've already yeah. started him practicing there time to mm-hmm. put that into game form you have a preseason and training camp to work on that mm-hmm. uh, if he already has a bit of the leg under him for that it's already a head start
0: yeah, he did end up playing 25 minutes, a little over 25 minutes of shorthanded ice time last season. So they have put him out there in those situations. I would like to see it become a bigger part of his game because, uh, as you mentioned, and I'm sure the reason that Damon asked is, you don't really remember him being a penalty killing forward for the Pittsburgh Penguins. I mean, if you look at Jay Fresh's player card, penalty killing is not available. Like, there, there is no statistics available. He doesn't have a percentile because he hasn't played enough time in that over his career. The seasons before that, he had, I believe, a little over one minute is what it said on there there the season before that, and then his rookie season, he had, I think, three total minutes of shorthanded ice time, so he had the most penalty kill time last season that he has in his career, 25 minutes, we'll see if that obviously progresses, and hopefully if he plays all 82 games, that number gets much higher, and And I agree with the, the YouTube commenter that, you know, he would probably be penalty killed too, uh, because you have guys like Riley Smith, guys like Nolachari, guys like, I believe, Matt Nieto can also play the penalty kill that will probably eat up more time than O'Connor. Yeah, here's yeah, what to say. Here's also how un
1: like, unupdated the, oh, there's Riley Smith. The daily face-off thing is, though, that second power play unit would normally have Pio Joseph on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Riley Smith might be killing some penalties with us as well. It's This whole thing will get updated soon enough. Uh, we,
0: we're just kind of using this as a base yep. for all conversations. Yep, exactly. So I'm interested to see what Drew O'Connor is able to do this season. I I really am. Uh, I I think that after signing that contract, especially the the way in which he did it, obviously he was going to take the team to arbitration. He felt he deserved more than what they were offering him. Uh, It puts a little bit more of a spotlight on you. I mean, and not as much as, you know, NFL contract situations, NBA contract situations, but, you know, that puts a little bit more of a spotlight on you. I mean, we've done a Drew O'Connor segment. Each of the last two episodes, we had a, I had a full Penguins to go yesterday on Drew O'Connor. That's three days in a row that we've talked about this guy. And honestly, I do think that he does have more offensive upside than he's shown throughout his career. And I think the progression has been reassuring throughout his first three years. And It's going to be fun to see what he's able to do in year number four.
1: For sure, it's going to be. It's going to be a big year for him. Anytime you enter a new contract and that first season uh, hits, that's usually all, all automatically... Uh, pretty big year for you
0: yeah of course so what we're going to do is take one quick break and then nhl network did put out yesterday because of the o'connor news a projected forward lineup we're going to go through that talk about what we like what we don't like and if we think there's anything that's actually going to be different versus what we'd like to see uh when it comes to pittsburgh penguins training camp we'll be right back Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. You can find us on YouTube at InsideThePenguins. Make sure you like, share, subscribe, and you can also find us anywhere you get your podcasts from. Horwat. obviously NHL Network was talking about the only thing that happened across the NHL yesterday news-wise, which was the Pittsburgh Penguins signing Drew O'Connor to a two-year deal worth $925,000 per season so they put out a projected forward lineup for the Pittsburgh Penguins now that there are no more RFAs to deal with for Kyle Dubas and the Pittsburgh Penguins for an office. Here's what they had as the projected lineup for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Gensel, Crosby, Raquel is the top line. Mm-hmm. Riley Smith, Evgeny Malkin, and Brian Rust as the second line. I don't think there's any surprises there. Nope. It's about what it's probably going to be. Mikhail Granlund, Lars Eller, and Jeff Carter as the third line. Mm-hmm. That's a little scary. But uh, the fourth line, just to, to round it out before discussing, Drew O'Connor, Nola Chari, and Matt Nieto. The bottom six, whew, I, I, that's first and foremost. Do you agree that that's the likeliest lineup as of now?
1: As of now I believe so. Yeah, it's that's also exactly what I know we just mentioned it. This is exactly what sits on Daily Faceoffs website. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty I would say pretty accurate to what we have because you just signed guys like you know Lars Eller to a couple years at 2 million a year I believe without double checking. Uh Matt Nieto and Chari. They're going to sit on your fourth line barzella already discussed playing the third line there's not much room for maneuverability you know because you're not going to sign those guys and immediately be like all right you're healthy scratched it's just not happening they are solid nhl players they have that status they have solid they have more a more solid lineup spot than guys like drew o'connor do or any of the other signings that might just have to coast through healthy scratches or the minor leagues to start the year um so far as this lineup looks, that just might be what it has to be. Jeff Carter being on third line's the scariest part of it. um, and mostly that what we say that mostly because Mikhail Grandland is TBd. We'll see how all that goes. Yeah. Uh, but otherwise though, it's that's about what I'd expect from the current list of players we have right now,
0: yeah, I would assume that entering training camp if all stays the same, obviously, Grandland is the big factor there when it comes to. Looking at, you know, is he going to get bought out between Saturday and Monday? That's that's the first thing. And secondly, obviously, is the Eric Carlson trade. Does Drew O'Connor get included in that? Does somebody else get included in that on the forward side. And that obviously shakes up what you would see here from the 12 names that we just discussed. But I do think that going into camp, this is probably how Mike Sullivan ends up penciling in the lineup. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether or not there's room to move, obviously there's not in the top six. Like You're not touching that top six. You might switch something around if Raquel and Malkin start to show a glimmers of something. Or if, if Rust and Crosby, you want to make sure that that's the line. Again, we we mentioned it in the first segment. We would prefer to see Raquel at least to start the season um, mm-hmm. and see if that magic can continues from last year. But looking at the bottom six, the only main thing I would change, even if Mikael Granlund is on this team, and I do it with gritted teeth because I'm not sure how Mikael Granlund on a fourth line would actually work out, I would like to see Drew O'Connor get an opportunity to play with Lars Eller. I would mm-hmm. like to see what that pairing would look like, and I'd like to see what Drew O'Connor would look like if you gave him an elevated and more important role on the third line.
1: Yeah, and that's kind of a lot of what we discussed this mm-hmm. past. Yeah, it's... um, this, this, What was I trying to say? Discussed in the last segment. It's yeah. We want to see what he can bring this upcoming season. It's going to be an important year for him with that new deal. I mean, he want, maybe wanted more than what he got. Well, he's got to prove why he uh, deserves that more in an upcoming contract. Mm-hmm. It's yeah going to be important for him to, at least like I mentioned, have a good offensive year as well as you know, your stay-at-home casual stuff. Uh, the breakout year is going to be important for him, and that would involve him bumping, being bumped to the third line. We don't know where Jeff Carter sits specifically on this team, for what it's worth, mm-hmm. Matt Nieto might be able to pull off a third-line roll, and that doesn't sound totally terrible. Uh, but a lot of moving and shaking will have to happen for that first. So, Drew O'Connor starting on the third line doesn't sound like a totally terrible idea, Um, but it's interesting. This bottom six is definitely reloaded, but just reloaded in a weird and awkward and un- not
0: unfortunate, but just a interestingly unfortunate way. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Is there any other changes that you would make? Like, if it wasn't just what you expect and you'd like to make a change, is there anything else you'd do to this lineup? Uh, I mean, doesn't even have to be the O'Connor for Grandland switch that I did. Is there anything to this lineup, maybe adding somebody that's not in this lineup that you would like to see get the opportunity out of camp? I mean, we need a whole fifth line. Like, it's... (laughs) Because I
1: feel like Vinny Henestrosa and... Uh, Johansson, Andreas Janssen, sorry, both deserve at least cracks at it, at least cracks at the NHL lineup. Um, just trying to, and then we're doing the, having this whole conversation, not even mentioning that Alex is still here. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's an entire fifth line that deserves a chance at cracking the NHL roster. And then there's still Redeems Zahorna floating around. Oh, yeah, Valtteri Poussin and Sam Poulin oh, now we need a whole six... We have a forward logjam, and I mean, that's casually going to happen during the off season. but this is a bit more of a... It feels like there's plenty of people with NHL experience and with NHL-caliber talent. This isn't so much of a... There's a couple of roster battles here and there. Someone might yeah. get this. No, this is... This slowly turned into, oh, we have to, like, make tough decisions. Yeah, and there's also... Good- yep, yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say there's gonna be competition. There's gonna be real competition. Yeah. And the other thing that I need that I wanted to bring up is Sullivan needs to pull plugs quickly this season. You have a variety of options. Someone's yeah. not pulling their weight in certain ways. Quickly pull the plug. Have Dubis get on the horn and call up the horn if you need to. You got other guys floating around down there. I mean, you have mm-hmm. your prospects that are ready to make the jump, as well as Guys, like I said, like Hinnestroza, Zahorna, and you know Janssen that uh have NHL experience and can continue to cut it.
0: Yeah, now here's here's an interesting amalgamation of a bottom six uh that I had just thought up. If Granlin does indeed go, let, let's play that hypothetical right now. If Granlund does indeed go, whether that be in the trade, uh for Eric Carlson that is still, you know, day Uh, We changed the month. It makes it a little bit more difficult. Day 34 of the Eric Carlson watch, or if he is bought out in the next 72 to 94 hours. What would a bottom six of O'Connor, Eller, and Alex Nylander as your third line, Achari, Nieto, and Carter make you feel like? I mean um, that fourth line is very interesting, um, cool. but honestly, I, I think it's a it, that's a better option than what NHL Network and Daily Faceoff have up there now.
1: Correct. Yeah, anything that involves an E-lander is going to immediately be a uh, a boost to the system. I think. I mean, in reality, it sucks. That we still have Jeff Carter sitting on this lineup. <laughs> I mean, he's going to have his role. We understand that he's going yeah. to be here. He's at least going to start in the lineup. Man, this is this is the point that I'm making with. Uh, Sullivan needs to have a short leash this year. The healthy scratch, truthfully, you have so many options that are A, younger, B, probably faster. I don't know about better in certain areas of the ice, but at least it's something fresh, faster, and younger, Uh, and a little bit more hungry to crack the NHL. Jeff Carter's on his way out. This is probably the last year he's going to play in the NHL, Mm -hmm. whereas I... I don't even know. Like Andreas Jonsson would like a new role at the in the NHL to really push and stay for uh, into his thirties as he's only twenty eight. Mm-hmm. Sam Poulin would lo- probably like to crack the NHL roster again and stay there. Mm-hmm. Uh, same about Terry Poussin. And you gotta have the quick leash, a quick hook. Just that's enough of that. We're going to try something else, especially this yeah. season. It's a pivotal year for guys like malkin crosby Latang, who are again not getting any younger toward the end of their career you need as many wins as you can to get back into the postseason if your main goal is to win one more stanley cup with this core Mm -hmm. you can't have guys you can't have anchors pulling you down not calling jeff carter an anchor he obviously has his uses mike sullivan believes that uh but if things aren't going right you
0: have a plethora of options So many options that Horwath just keeps dropping stuff like he he can't even hold on to things. He's so excited. His hands are just trying to take notes and it's just not going well. (laughs) Exactly. Well, let's finish the episode with this Horwath. Who is one wild card to make the roster? I know it doesn't happen as often in the NHL where somebody comes out of nowhere and they're just so unbelievably good that you weren't expecting them to be that way and they crack a roster, especially one seemingly as set as the Pittsburgh Penguins where there might only be one or two spots available. But who is one player that you think could do that in training camp? I mean, Alex Nylander wouldn't be a shock. We know what he can bring.
1: I think the real surprise would probably be Uh, andreas johnson finding his way in there Mm. especially in a winger's room that's pretty full i mean that andreas johnson cracking line would probably mean jeff carter is getting healthy scratch to start the year which doesn't seem likely but that would likely be the most shocking and he has of the names that i keep mentioning has the best chance to crack in Mm -hmm. right he's probably got the best skill out of the out of that group And the most experienced, without doubt, and has had the highest production in the NHL before. Uh, I would say that would probably probably be the most shocking. Alex Neilander cracking it wouldn't be a surprise. It would just be kind of a well, where is he fitting? Who's moving out where? It's mm-hmm. uh, like we mentioned. There's a lot of shuffling that still needs to happen here.
0: Yeah, I think if Granlund goes, Neilander is the first name to be put into the projected lineup by everybody. But I think if I'm looking at one wild card to make the roster, and and you know he's my guy, and and I always mention him when we get to this, but I think it's it's Valteri Pustinen. You know, Mm -hmm. he wasn't called up at all last season, but he did start camp last year, practicing with Crosby and Gensel. Like, what was that? And, And and if you didn't have high expectations, if you didn't like him as much then why would you even test that out, right? Especially getting ready for a season last year that you knew you needed to have, you know, Ricardo Raquel get some ice time with Sidney Cross because they had only played so many minutes together. You wanted to get that chemistry going. But why spend the first, I believe it was at least the first two days. It might have been the entire first week. I'm a little foggy. I'd have to go back and look through my notes from when I was there. But why spend a significant or at least a noticeable amount of time with him practicing with your first line, if you didn't believe there was something there. Now, he still needs to come in and prove it. He still needs to come in and make the roster. He still needs to come in and impress the coaching staff and the general manager and everybody else that way. But we're talking about the guy that led the Wilkes-Barre, Scranton Penguins last year in scoring. Mm -hmm. You need more scoring in your bottom six. He's going to provide that. The only question to me becomes... Is he defensively responsible enough? And we'll have to ask uh, Nick Hart. Hopefully we get him on after our quick break in August. Does he play or does he show defensive responsibility in his game? Or is that a weak spot? Um, And will that affect him trying to make the jump to the NHL? Because as we've noted many times on this show, Kyle Dubas has had defense in mind when creating this bottom six.
1: And Mike Sullivan just always has defense in mind, period. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, it's... It, it, that's going to be a big part of him getting a call at all, is if he has rounded out that defensive game. I mean, that was a huge reason why Sam Poulin didn't get called up for a long time. He needed to work on that. That was one of the big things that he needed to zero in on and improve before he could even step foot in the AHL, let alone the NHL, Yeah. Uh, in this system. So, yeah, it, it, again, as long as that defensive game is up for Poussin, maybe he has a better chance. But, man, just the way Kyle Dubas is made an influx of just depth forwards after depth forwards after depth forwards, Mm. who knows where it all goes. Regardless, it's going to make the AHL team a lot more attractive. It's going to make the camp battles a lot more attractive. And like I said, Mike Sullivan now has, has plenty of options to pull, Mm -hmm. to quickly pull plugs on guys.
0: Yeah. It's going to be an interesting season at forward, especially going into training camp, because like you mentioned, the competition between, you know, is Pustinian going to be able to jump the hurdles placed in front of him of Vin- Vinny Hinestroza, Andreas Janssen, even a guy like Matt Nieto. Like, Matt Nieto could be a healthy scratch at one point if he's not succeeding. And could somebody like Pustinin or Nylander jump Nieto? Yeah, it's possible. I wouldn't say that his spot is guaranteed in the lineup. I would say maybe on the roster is probably guaranteed. But if he doesn't outperform some of these guys, like if he doesn't outperform... Drew O'Connor, and it comes down to the two of them, the Penguins should keep Drew O'Connor. Now, here's the difference, is we could have this discussion in another week and it'd be completely different. The important thing is going to be this weekend. Does Mikhail Granlin get bought out? Do the Penguins get $4 million in space, which at the moment would only create an $800,000 surplus in cap because they're $3.2 million over the NHL salary cap at the moment with 24 players on the roster, but how does that shake things up? That's something we'll have to discuss at a later date. But Horwat, any last thoughts on the forward lineup before we turn this episode off?
1: I don't have much. It's just... You'll see more thoughts come out over the next few weeks from <laughs> us, I'm sure. It's it's going to be interesting. Get ready for the slow month and a lot of discussions of things we don't know anything about quite yet. Things could still change. Eh, and
0: it's a matter of having a quick leash. Quick, You know, pull. You know what we're, what's going to happen? We're gonna get to our breaks. Mm-hmm. We're gonna both be out of pocket, away from everything that we can do, and they're gonna drop the Eric Carlson trade. And we're gonna be like, "Well,
1: oh, I'll find gonna... time to do stuff. Don't worry."
0: <laughs> we'll be a little, a little bit late on a reaction to that if that happens. But uh, regardless, yeah. uh, we hope you tune in. Make sure you like, share, subscribe everywhere you get your podcast. Including on YouTube, if you like to watch the video version, you can check us out at insidethepenguins.com. Writings from both Horwat and myself, as well as a fantastic writer and Jacob Pontori. We've had him on the show, we'll have him on the show again. But that is it for this episode of The Tip of the Iceberg. I'll see you guys next time.